Turn your Bibles, or you turn to Genesis chapter 18. It's a fair wee bit of reading in the scripture this morning. In different places, so I'll try and keep up with it. Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to look at hospitality, which is kind of pretty relevant for this place. I've known you for a wee while and through the men's meeting and stuff. And I had a very hospitable church. And, um, you know, when somebody walks through the doors of your church, Probably in the first two minutes they'll probably know deep down if they're going to come back. It's a fact. And that's to do with the welcome you give visitors in this place. It's so important. Because people are not stupid. People feel when they're getting ignored. People feel when they're getting shunned. People know when they're getting welcomed with a handshake. People know when you remember their name. People need to belong. And it's so, so important. Because God thinks it's important. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So this is a well-known story. There's a very big narrative. It's a big story. And it goes into two chapters. But it is the same story. This, um, this one, chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be bought, and then... You may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well the answer, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seeds of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant who hurried to prepare it. He then bought some curds and milk and the calf that had, to, had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he said. And one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you about the appointed time next year. 
And Sarah won't have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, she did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing this, by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what, and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there is fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? I'm going to leave that wee passage for a moment. What he goes on to do is Abraham walks with the Lord. I wouldn't say he's haggling, but he's pleading. He's pleading for the people of Sodom. And he goes down to 50 and 45, 30 and 20 pleading for the righteous people that are in Sodom. He's basically looking to save his family, his cousin, his nephew Lot and his family that are in Sodom. Knowing what the Lord's about to do. So what happens is Abraham's these three visitors have come and Abraham's walk with the Lord. And the other two visitors, they turn out to be divine messengers. Start to head in the Sodom. So we'll take the story up as the head in the Sodom for chapter uh, chapter nineteen, verse one. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go, that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread with yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them, and shut the door behind them. He said, No, my friends. Don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of their way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. 
We will treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on the lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled the lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. I'm going to leave it at that. I don't want to get into the bones of this, um, these two chapters, because especially this chapter here, you've probably heard that in church, basically um, pointing out the, the sin of homosexuality that was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't want to get into the depths of that today, because that's not what the Lord showed me. Apart from the sin and depravity that was in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was something else that was lacking. You see, Abraham is walking with Yahweh himself. These three visitors came to see Abraham. Two of them are angels and one is Yahweh himself, who Abraham walks with. And he pleads for his nephew, Law, and his family that not to be destroyed. Abraham welcomed these three visitors. You see them come from afar. In that culture, a kind of nomad culture, to see a stranger you would... It's an honour for them to come and talk to you because you'd be finding out news from afar where they've came from and you'd be catch up on what's happening in the rest of the world. So Abraham welcomes these people. He makes them feel so important. He brings them in and he gets Sarah to bake for them. He gets a fatty car and he slays it and he makes a, a hot meal for them. And they stay there. Then we see the other half. The two angels go into Sodom. And although Lot meets them, and Lot does the same thing, he brings them in his home, he makes them a hot meal, and he gets up and stay them. The townsfolk treat them abysmally. There's no hospitality here, there's hostility at the door. And the depravity of the people want to have sex with strangers, no matter what. Their gender. And I've got to say, I don't want to get any of the bones of that. I mean, it's horrendous that the Lord would offer his two virgin daughters to these animals at the door. It's just horrendous to even think. But he's trying to protect these people because he knows they're divine messengers. In Hebrews 13, verse 2 says this Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. These were, uh, these were angels sent for a message for, for, for Abraham and Sarah, but also to do the Lord's bidding and judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. I remember reading this when I was a young Christian. I got saved in. January, the 19th of January, 1982. And about March, just for chance, my name had been in the housing list for three years and I got a house in the March. I probably wouldn't have been able to handle that house 
because uh, enemies that had a winter took the house but anyway the Lord had given this house right in the middle of madness and he put a bubble around me and protected me and um, and when I was decorating the house I, I never, this is my first house and I was decorating it and stuff and the Lord said to me he guided me to this verse 13, the, the church, Hebrews 13 too, about showing hospitality to strangers and through that the Lord said look, a wee guy came to the Lord um, I knew him he was an associate, we'll call him, he wasn't a friend, he was an associate. But he came to the Lord, and there was only about sixes came to the Lord. And the sixes came to the Lord in about, about six months or so. So when he came to the Lord, and the Lord turned the lambs to you, so when we met, stayed for, for two or three years. And the Lord knew what he was doing. Because we needed one another, we became aliens in our own village, our own uh, scheme. Because everybody just disowned us because we, we became something that they were. Anyway, that was a wee side track. But welcome strangers because they might be angels, you don't know who people are. And that's, that's welcome that the, the Abraham did. He literally did welcome angels. And he showed them hospitality. And he did turn out to be divine messengers. He made them feel welcome and poor. And he fed them. And you see the direct contrast to this in Sodom and Gomorrah. Where they wanted to use and abuse people. And I believe this weighed heavily. Because God knew the character of these people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that would weigh heavily on his ultimate judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah and his people. If you could again turn me to, I'm trying to tie all this up with the Old New Testament. If you could turn to Luke chapter 10. Because I want to show you what Jesus thinks about hospitality. And Jesus looks back at the Old Testament as well. First one. After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag of sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whenever you, whenever, whatever they give you, for the Lord, des- for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are, 
When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town you wipe from your feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. You just leave it at that. If you're welcomed, the kingdom of God is near you. If you're not welcome, the kingdom of God is near you. And judgment's coming. Two different contrasts. You welcome them, the kingdom of God will come in its power and it will heal people and it will do good in the community. Why would Jesus go back and quote Sodom and Gomorrah? The people there that was listening to this knew, the disciples knew about Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus mentioned this because of woman. To people who aren't hospitable, to take heed, it would be worse for them than it would be for Sodom and Gomorrah. If you can even imagine how worse sulfur would be poured out through the heavens and consuming a full city. So you can see how it's really important to Jesus hospitality. How serious God takes it. These are disciples and we're Christians. We have to be disciples. And we've been sent into the world. And whether we find a man of peace, or a person of peace, and stay with that person. You see, the Lord was making me suddenly too vulnerable. Don't take everything, don't go with a kitchen sink, don't take everything away. Don't be sufficient, be vulnerable and allow people to help you. Because there will be a person of peace out there, there will be a man of peace who will take you in and accept their charity, accept the love that they give you, the hospitality. Those who are inhospitable and hostile to strangers. You see, for the Christian, it's a natural response to, to, to welcome. And it reflects God's grace. We reflect God's grace when we welcome people. And it's not optional. It's not, oh, they've got that gift of hospitality. There is no gift of hospitality. It's the grace of all God that we need to shed for other people. It's a necessity in the practice of the community of faith. So when I was studying this, I was looking about fellowship and I was looking at Jesus mainly. But he did go back and he, he was just making sure that people knew how serious it was. 
we can look on that story of Sodom and Gomorrah and just pick out the sexual sins and stuff like that of the people in the place. But I believe the judgment that was coming on them was much more than just the sexual sin in that place and the, the corruption that was going on. It was the way the people were hostile instead of hospitable. And the two, it's the exact same story, you can see the two contrasting ways that Abraham showed, Abraham and Lot showed hospitality, you know, hospitality to these people. And the, 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 the crowd, the animals that came to the door just out to abuse and take what they could get. You see, Jesus depended on hospitality. Just as Jesus didn't walk about with a big purse, pay his way, Jesus was vulnerable. He left himself vulnerable. He became a guest in Matthew, a tax collector. I try to put that in the days, I can't get it. I'm thinking back to the poll tax when you used to come around and do their house sales and sell all your furniture and stuff like that. No very nice people. Probably not a nice job, but Matthew was scamming as well. As well as working for the Romans, collecting taxes, he was collecting more for himself. So he was a nice person. Jesus went and met with this man. Jesus went into his house and accepted his hospitality. Levi, he became Matthew. He accepted Simon Peter's help, his hospitality, Martha, Zacchaeus, and there was many more who enjoyed food and fellowship. And the Pharisees hated him for it. Hated him for it. They criticised him. Sadducees and Pharisees. Eating and drinking with sinners. He's a drunkard and he's a glutton. His reply, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. See, Jesus cut across all the sores, the religious and social barriers. And he went to the marginalising society. And you see this, this activity of table fellowship, having something to eat with somebody. It would be all through Jesus' ministry. Jesus told the parables again to the anointed of the Pharisees. They would tell them stories about the lost sheep, the prodigal son. And after each of these, when they were found, the lost sheep, or the prodigal son, the turn would be time, there would be a celebration. They'd be food on the go again. There'd be a feast where people would eat and drink. There's a celebration in the feast portrayed in the parable of the great banquet. It's a messianic parable. Table fellowship with sinners, eating with sinners. One of the most characteristic marks of Jesus Christ's ministry. Celebrating the Messianic banquet. So according to the Pharisees, he was doing it with their own people. If they're not a welcome day when they won't come go into the, the, the streets and the towns and the streets and bring them in. You know, 
be Pharisees. Can we be self-righteous? Because I've experienced in church. I remember the drop-in I had in a church and it was getting announced and they announced it as the dropouts and there was a wee <gasps> in the church but you know something that was in that man's heart because I knew him self-righteous man that every time tried to shut this drop-in down make up any excuse to close it down called the building the sanctuary that had to be protected we have a testament to keep and these people may ruin it and that's the kind of struggle I had in church was I minister to the wrong people because of, because of his message it's so easy I remember one time I was bringing people into church and because I knew their background they drove 10 a lot of them in my groups would share with me that they had hepatitis C so I'd done the right thing and I went to the church elders and I told them look see this tradition with the big cup when the cup went down it was a cup one bit there was maybe two cups on each side and the cup would be shared and we'd take a drink and pass it on and I said look I'm bringing people to this church who've got hepatitis C. It only takes a minute spot of blood to transfer that. Somebody's got to think about anything. I see it's coming up. Do we use do with the wee individual things? And why I'll say to me, no, that's our tradition, you will keep the cup. If you're concerned about that, I said I'm concerned about it. Passing on contagious disease. If you're concerned about that, we'll give them a cup of their own that they can share among themselves. I can't believe that. See the elders in my church saying this. I was trying to be practical to keep everybody healthy, and that's why I got away. I was a preacher, I was, a, I was a trying to minister to the wrong people. The, the banquet table with the when the early church broke bread together there was a feast there was a meal and sometimes church we can be removed for that we can make it a kind of sanitised thing rather than the fellowship meal sometimes our services can become a wee bit religious Instead of welcoming something that can be exclusive, there are such churches that don't bring bread with anybody else, it's not in their meeting. So sometimes we can be very exclusive towards strangers. And I think that's kind of mindset, I think it's kind of avoiding the world, putting ourselves in a bubble so that we're not going to get contaminated by the world in order to remain set apart, clean and holy. We better let the teachers in the Torah, the Pharisees. The cups clean on the outside and inside. All whitewashed and inside full of dead man's bones. Jesus, on the other hand, is the complete opposite. He held the lepers. 
He was among the people. And he showed them hospitality. And instead of being in it, instead of preventing himself from being contaminated and being set apart for the pagans, the non-believers, in order to protect his holiness, it's Jesus' hospitality towards the unbelievers, the unclean and sinners, that his own holiness is shown forth. You see, instead of the sin and purity affecting him, Jesus' purity and righteousness somehow affects everybody. The impure, the sinners, the Gentiles. Table fellowship. Table fellowship can be messy at times, depending on who your client group is. And I used to have groups in the house, and I would try and do Acts 4, just as it is. We'll get the Apostles' Doctrine, we'll get the Bible out, we'll pray, we'll have fellowship. And I would have it in the house, we'd sit at the table, I'd get pizza and stuff out, we'd all, somebody would read out the Bible. We thank the Lord for the bread and then we break bread together and then we would eat. And while we were eating, we were all talking about our week. I remember writing that somebody, a lady from the church to come, she was curious about what I was doing. I said, look, it's messy. And uh, you'll know, you, you just need to mind people's language. I would take my kids up the stairs out of the road and there was some expletives said and just so uh, people used the language and... and um, but they were getting better. It was getting less and less. But anyway, we would we'd break bread and then we would eat and then we would talk and then we would find prayer points while we were talking. And then after supper, we took a cup and we'd give thanks for the cup when we were finished. And then we would pray. And then we would read, read the Bible or whatever, whatever topic we were on and we'd ask questions and feedback and then we would pray and that's what the disciples done house to house and I tried to do that I didn't try to do it, I'd done it but it was really messy halfway through there was a fag break smoke break and they're all out my front door and the wee woman's traumatised I'm looking at her what's going on here I says look it's messy but it's church it's not done in the way that we you would think, but I guarantee you, so that Bible was done the right way. I said, it's church. People are messy. You just need to have patience for them. She never came back. Because it wasn't organized enough, I think. She thought it was just a rabble. But you know, the Lord was there. And you could see, when you heard them, you know, she never even stayed at the end for the prayers. And she didn't hear somebody pleading with God, groaning before God. No flowery prayers in that, in that meeting. Just good morning to God help me. God help me keep my kid. I was um, one of the girls in that group. Um, long, long story. Went to the wrong guy and stuff like that. But anyway, I've kept in contact with her for over two, three or four years. And, um, I had a horrible, horrible Wednesday when the social work came to take her kid off. 
and I was there and it was absolutely heartbreaking. And I said, I'll take the kid, I'll take the child, I'll look after it. And then he says, look, we're not going to have time to assess you, blah, blah, blah. And they had a, they already had a, a sheriff's warrant to take, take the child. I'd already had the kid in my house and I was in her house and the social worker came to the door. She wasn't in a good way, she was mentally ill. And, and she couldn't look after the child, but they came and actually took the child from my house and went into the night. When she was in her pyjamas and other ones sitting in her, my daughter's bed. It was absolutely horrendous for the kids as well. And what do you say to that girl? You know what, she was talking to the social worker about God. God's in control here. I know I'm going to get in the back, I'm going to get in the back. And it was absolutely horrendous. But she was mentally unstable. She wasn't fit to look after the child. And it came in crisis. I think she was trying to hide the child in my house. I think they came earlier and I sort of voluntary and handed the kid over and she never and she packed her bags and came to my house with, with Sky and I would just ask you to pray for Janet. Pray for me, Sky. The church attempts this table fellowship and they do the good good stuff Alpha. Christianity explored and it starts with a meal. The reason I'm saying this is because the men's meetings grew enormously because people feel relaxed, they feel welcomed. It's so important. People are immediate there. You know, I'm in a church where it's surrounded by flats, and if you ever go and visit, all you hear is door slamming. Fucking meetings in these blocks, and all you hear is door slamming. Nobody, everybody just keeps to themselves because it's dangerous. It's kind of back to the old days where you could leave your door open, there was community and every now and then you see a wind scurrying across the street with a wee note. You get some sugar from a lamb, you get that, you don't see that anymore. You messages getting passed forward because everybody keeps herself with herself. There's no fellowship. Where did you get fellowship? This is where you get fellowship. You use that word fellowship. People go to the pub for fellowship. To get out of their house, to meet other people, to feel that human contact. The church is where they should be coming. The church is where there'll be real fellowship. Because we've got the answer to their problems. Jesus Christ. So Alpha did a good job. If you've ever been involved in Alpha or Christianity Explored, they have the meal, and then they have the wee video and the wee time. Sometimes it seems as though it's a wee bit like evangelical entrapment. We use the food to get them in and then we Bible bash them. You know, I've done all these for years and we do the same <laughs> we do the same setup, but people need fed. I keep going and on and on about it for a lot, but I'm not going. But I remember one wee woman says, Jim, you only come for the meal and then they've been away. I says, Brother, they need fed. Ah, but they need saved. I said, I know they need saved. We need a lot of doors. <laughs> we'll get a new little lock of doors, we'll keep them in and then we'll minister to them. I said, well, you can go to jail because I'm not holding people against the wall. I said, listen, you need to trust God. Because she's in the Holy Spirit, so You can lock the doors. 
انه كعبه بوزن كمان انه اشبعت من I said that people are going to say that the people will stay behind because they're searching for God and there's a need there. Table fellowship in the form of hospitality is conducive to creating a normal, relaxed setting for dialogue to happen. You know that when you're sitting eating, everybody's chilled out in the vocal cords come. I mean, it's the easiest thing to do is talk to somebody when you're sitting eating. A wee distraction. The spotlight's not, spot not on them. And they're getting fed. And they feel chilled. And somebody's getting them something for free. And they're happy. And people talk. And the ministry that I've done, the ministry wasn't the, the ministry at the front. Praising the Lord and preaching. The ministry was done at the tables when we were eating. And I believe that's what the Lord did. He sat around a fire and ate with people and he shared stories and parables and people felt relaxed and the master was told. Here's a fellowship of God. Don't take this for granted. This doesn't happen everywhere. I spoke about the men's fellowship and how it breaks down all the barriers and people feel relaxed and they get ministered to and then they can think for themselves because there's no spotlight on them. I see this church as a role model. I ain't kidding you. I would duplicate this in the other in a heartbeat because you're meeting the needs of everybody. There are Christians out there that are wounded soldiers and they'll come in here. And they need patched up. And they need to get that fight back again to get them to the battle. He said, welcome to strangers. People don't know the Lord. And you're giving them their basic needs, food, practical help. I know it's been happening for years in the coffee house. I'd love to duplicate that energy. I see this church is a pioneer church. I kid you not, I'm not trying to fill these up because this is the new day, the, the new building, all the rest of it. But I didn't know when I was studying for this, I didn't know that this was the, the, I thought about the coffee house. You make people feel welcome. When I was in the People's Church in Falkirk, they had six handshakes before, <laughs> I overkill, but they had six handshakes before I got to the seat. And they were took to their seat. And people were made to feel special. We take it for granted because we're friends with one another. But when you come out of that world that doesn't love anything, and hate rather than love, and you walk in and somebody shakes your hand and somebody smiles at you and tells you you're welcome, it blows you away. And then takes you to your seat, whatever. And all these people are happy to see you. We take that for granted, but it's incredibly important. How you use hospitality, how you welcome people. How you encourage people. Remember their names as they come in. If you remember their name, the next time they come, they'll be blown away, believe me. Because then they feel part of this. They feel welcomed and they feel accepted. And they feel known. 
because they are nobodies. Food's a great thing. Probably too much, to be honest, if you ask me. I tell my big mate that Christians are killing him. He's a food addict, I see him, they're killing you. People might come here and they'll be that, they'll come in with their barriers up and they don't want you to know them and that's all right. Just shake your hand and sit and give them space. Don't be sitting, don't, don't be going and pressurising them, just let them come in because they're searching and the Holy Spirit's in their work in their life and it can be messy to see if you're there for them. That's what I mean, the world to listen and follow myself. Talk about how people treated me when I came in with my baggage. Nobody was turning me any approach. That was my attitude. I grew up Roman Catholic. I wasn't turning a coat. Everybody else told me I already had. But I wasn't going to end the brainwashing me. I'm going to turn me any approach. That sounds bonkers. But that's the baggage that I came with. And I'm going to tell you. It was the Jesus Christ and the people were asking. They didn't care about children or kids. They didn't sit and analyse me. And I spoke to you about this girl, Janet. I have never met anybody. She talks about a psychologist. Calls herself an ex-drug addict and alcoholic. She's been the NA. She's got an addiction counsellor. She's a psychologist, psychiatrist. She must have been 12 professional people in her life. She just got the Sure Start programs to be the best mother on the planet. And I keep telling her, trust God and be yourself. You're a good mum. It's never good enough. And then when she's not good enough, she has to drugs and drink again. Becomes a mess. And her kid gets damaged. And all the do-gooders in life come and ask her, Share your pain, share all the stories, and then we'll move on. But if somebody's not mentally capable of healing that wound when it's old, ends up going off the rails again, and that's exactly what's happened. I spoke to social workers about it. People mean well, but they don't give people a chance. They try to fix people. I'm going to tell you something. I could have lain in a psychiatrist's bed for years and offloaded on them, and I wouldn't have been healed. I'm going to tell you something. The guy that made me and knew me before I was in my mother's room knows me inside out. And it just took a bit of time and trust him. And it worked. Miracles in life. Give people space and let the Lord and the Holy Spirit work in their life and just be there for them. But I just want to commend you to the church. I see he's a role model, a pioneer church for other churches and how you reach the community. So we see how hospitality is seriously important to God. And how he thinks and he deals with unwelcome hospitality, which is hostility. Hospitality can, cannot be used just as entertainment or a church activity. But I believe that table fellowship, the 